So in Luke chapter 18, I want to go ahead and read the portion of scripture that we're going to be covering this morning. So begin, beginning with verse 31 of chapter 18. It says, Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not know the things which were spoken. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it, gave praise to God. So this is the beginning of our text this morning. And something I was gathering from the themes of these verses was, like I said in the title, believing, seeing, and being close to Jesus. I remember before I was saved, before I became a Christian and gave my life to the Lord, it was very, almost, it was impossible for me to see that spiritual things of God in my life. Certain things, maybe, yeah, when I look hindsight, I could see the hand of God and his sovereignty in me from a young age, from being trained up at Calvary Chapel. But as I was becoming my own man, a a young man, a a junior higher, a teenager, a high schooler in college, I was blind to the Holy Spirit's work in my life. You see, because I didn't allow the Holy Spirit in my heart and in my, my mind. I had not accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior yet. And then fast forward to then coming to that moment where I, I said, Jesus, I need you in my life. My life is a wreck right now. It's terrible. All the, the, the lifestyle of the world ha- had, was destroying me. And I said, okay, Jesus, I need you in my life. I need a new life. I need you to save me. And when he came into my life and began to minister to me, changed me radically overnight, I, I began to follow after him. And when I began to follow after him, I began to have my spiritual eyes open to the things that the Spirit was doing. And I, I realized that, man, there was, when I remember that season of my life, there was so much amazing joy, grace-filled, just excitement that the creator of the universe, the Holy Spirit, wanted to have a relationship with me 
personally. And he wants to have a relationship with all of us here. And I remember that, that first season of my life, I was, I was 19 years old when I gave my life to the Lord. And right away, I, I, I jumped into ministry, both feet. I just was like, I, okay, well, I was a terrible person before, so now I, I'm just going to go full-blown after Jesus in my life. And I, I joined Calvary Chapel Golden Springs' high school ministry. And Scott Salamat was the high school pastor, and they were going to go on a mammoth retreat. They were going to go on a trip to Mammoth, and I was like, I, I want to go. I want to I go help out if I can. And I was young in the Lord. I d- didn't really know a lot about Christianity. And then I remember we went up to the mountains, and we, we had this retreat, and for the first time in my life, I began to he- feel and hear and see the Holy Spirit speaking to me personally, and I was tripping out. I was like, dude, like, God talks to people? Like, you can, like, literally talk to God. Now, I didn't hear an audible voice, okay? So it it wasn't like I heard, Salvador, I need you to go join the high school. I didn't hear that. But the things that I was going through in my life, as I began to read the word, I felt the Holy Spirit directly relating those things in the Bible to my heart and to my mind and, and to what the situations that I was going through. And I started to, I remember for the first time experiencing spiritual warfare and what that was like where I was like what there's demons that are like attacking these high school kids and it's like I could see it 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 was such a cool experience and what the Lord showed me through that not that the demons attacking kids was a cool experience but I remember for the first time when there was a, a, a day a particular day where we were getting ready to have the Bible study that evening at that night and all of a sudden, all the kids, like, m- just within an hour space of time, this one guy, his name's Ernie. Shout out, Ernie, if, if you're listening online. I, I still talk to him. But he all of a sudden just had, like, this fainting spell, became so weak where we had to rush him, call 911, rush this guy to emergency because we don't know what's going on with him. And then all, we're like, oh, my gosh, everyone's worried about him. Like, this is an hour before the Bible study. And then all of a sudden... 45 minutes before the Bible study, some girl comes running out and was like, oh my gosh, I heard this demonic voice in the hotel room, and we, it was like super scary, and we were just like, what? Like, what are you talking And she was so scared. She was like frightened, so we're like, okay, let's, like, let's pray with her. And then like 15 minutes later, all of a sudden, these two girls are, are standing outside, and I don't know what they were arguing about, but they start going back and forth like, and they start fighting like they're angry about something. That's my impersonation of girls who are hiding. Sorry. <laughs> Excuse me. But they start going back and forth on it. And it's like, dude, we have to, we're about to teach a Bible study here in 15 minutes now. And why is all this happening right before the Bible study? And sure, maybe the, the world can chalk it up as coincidence. But I, all of a sudden, Scott came to me. He's like, yo, we need to pray. Like, there's some, <laughs> the, the enemy just came through tonight and he's just getting everyone's mind and attention off focus of what we need to be focused on right now. So let's pray. And then we prayed and we, we went forth with the Bible study. And I remember to, to see all those things that, those issues that were kind of trials in the moment, I saw how God reversed all, every single situation. The guy who was sick came back. He was fine. It was like, what, what happened? You didn't drink enough water or what? But it, he was fine when he came back. And the, the issue with the girls was resolved and, and we were just, there was peace and I saw spiritual warfare and I realized this, look, there's a whole spiritual realm that is going on around us. And are we open 
to seeing it? Do we, do we believe that Jesus is stronger than everything in our life? So with that, that these are some of the themes that we're going to see. We're going to start with verse 31 this morning. We'll read it in verse 31. He says, Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. Now, Jesus, in this point of his ministry with his disciples, the 12 disciples, he's headed towards the cross. And it says that they're going on their way up to Jerusalem. And something that's really neat about the city of Jerusalem is that wherever direction you're coming from to go to Jerusalem, you have to go up to it. It's elevated. So they're traveling up to Jerusalem. And this leads me to my first point this morning. Point number one, believe God accomplishes his promise. Believe God accomplishes his promise. You see, he told them, look, behold, we're headed towards what the prophets have told us about. And it's going to be accomplished what was written in the Old Testament. See, there are over 300 prophecies about Jesus, about the Messiah in the Old Testament. These were written between five to a thousand years before Jesus was ever born. And these are prophecies concerning the time of his birth, where he would be born in Bethlehem. There was a prophecy that he would be born from a virgin. Prophecies that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. That he would be mocked and crucified. That he would be pierced. That he would die with the wicked and be buried with the rich. That was in Joseph's tomb. Now, when you look at all of these prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, over 300, there, there has been people who have tried to figure out what is the chance that a man could come to this world and fulfill all these prophecies in the Old Testament. And that chance, that probability, is one chance in a trillion times a trillion to the 12th power. It's like one with like a bajillion zeros after it, basically. It's too big to count. Now, it's, it would be like this. This is the chance, the likelihood that a man could come and fulfill these prophecies. Suppose you took the entire state of Texas and you filled the entire state with one trillion silver dollar coins. You just filled it up two feet deep. The entire state. And then we took Anna and we blindfolded Anna. And we sent her to Texas and said, Okay, and we took one of those coins and we painted it. Let's say we painted it blue. And we just threw it randomly. We threw it into the state of Texas. And then we took Anna and we blindfolded her. We spun her around so she'd be a little disoriented. And then we said, okay, we want you to go and go throughout Texas and just pick up any random coin and see if you get the blue one. The chance that you would pick up that blue coin was that number, one in the trillion trillion to the 12th power. It's, it's almost impossible, right? Yeah, there's that tiny chance, but it's like, it's literally almost impossible. Unless you're the son of God. Unless you're Jesus, who's able to accomplish what God had promised. 
So when God gives you guys a promise, he is faithful to keep it. And I wonder this morning, has God given you promises? Are there scriptures that God has given you to hold on to that maybe right now we're doubting? Maybe we're doubting that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus this morning. But his word is true. If you have those promises, listen, we don't, we don't need to hold on and hang on to them. We could stand on them. We could stand on his word. We could stand in the Lord. And then in verse 32, for he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. So now he's referring to what the prophecies were talking about. What's going to happen to Jesus? Throughout Jesus' lifetime with his disciples, you would see him say to them, whenever they would try to get Jesus to, to a place where he wasn't supposed to be, he would say, my time is not at hand yet. The time is not at hand. And then now as the time is approaching for him to get to the cross, he, you're going to start to see him, this phrase, my ti- the time is at hand. This is going to be the time when Jesus is going to be delivered to the Jews by the Jews to Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor and he was going to be delivered to him. But before that, the, the religious Pharisees would take Jesus and begin to strike him, begin to spit on his face. They would put a bag over his head and begin to punch him and say, prophesy, who hit you? You see, when someone is about to hit you, your body's natural reaction is to recoil and try to buffer the hit. But if you have a bag over your face and you don't see where the hit is coming from, you take the full force of that punch to the face. And this is what Jesus was suffering through, getting prepared to take on the sins of the world on the cross. It says in verse 33, they will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. The scourge was the the cat of nine tails whip that the Romans had, and they would use this on their victims to get a confession. Even if the victim was blameless, they often used this tactic so that people would confess to doing whatever crime they were committed of. But when Jesus was there being whipped by the cat of nine tails, He had nothing to confess. He had nothing to say, okay, I did it. I was wrong. So that's why they whipped him 39 times, which many times would kill a person. And then they would finally take him to the cross, nail him to that cross where he would die. When you look at the the way his body literally was impacted, his heart physically burst through the crucifixion because when they poked his side with the spear, water and blood came out. And the only way that's possible is if his heart was to have burst from all the turmoil that was going on his body. Jesus literally died of a broken heart. And he was preparing his disciples. Look, this is what's going to happen to me. And that's why he gave them the hope. Look, but the third day I will rise. 
That's not the end story. The death, it's going to be taken care of. I'm going to resurrect by the power of God. And he's telling his disciples this. But in verse 34, it says, but they understood none of these things. This thing was hidden from them and they did not know the things which were spoken. See, they, they couldn't comprehend uh, Jesus's warnings because they were so caught up with their own ideas of they, what they wanted their Messiah to do. And Jesus told them plainly, he said, look, I'm going to rise on the third day. But when the day came that he was taken and crucified, none of them remembered. They were like, it's over. That's it. It's lost. It's game over for, for Jesus and for our plans with, with God. It's, it's game over now. And they forgot and they hid and they went different in paths. And, and they were, I realized here, look, during this time in their life, their eyes were, were blinded. They didn't see, they didn't remember that Jesus told them he was going to resurrect. Which leads me to my second point this morning. Ask God for your eyes to be opened. Ask God for your eyes to be opened. What I'm saying here is I'm not saying ask God for your eyes to be opened literally from the, the sleepiness of our lives today, but I'm saying spiritually. I'm speaking of spiritual things. In verse 35 now, we're going to enter the account where this man who is blind receives sight. In verse 35, it says, Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. So now, again, they're traveling to Jerusalem. They're coming close to the city Jericho. And it's exciting when there's a band of believers who get together to worship and serve God. I'm imagining the disciples and Jesus, and they're going to Jericho. And it, personally, I, I love these little retreats or trips where you go do spiritual work and you're, you're serving the Lord alongside other believers. Because oftentimes when you're doing the Lord's work, the crazy characters will emerge in your life. And those are the people you are to minister to. And there, it's happening here. There's a blind man. And we're going to see that Jesus, he makes himself available for the divine appointments that God had for him. You see, in your life, you're going to be going out to the market, to the hair salon, to, I, I look at you, hair salon, no, <laughs> you're going to be going to uh, the, the, the tool store, Home Depot, uh, wherever, you know, and sometimes we just think of it, oh, I got to go to get this done. I got to go to do this chore or to do di this duty. But don't forget that God has his sovereign ways of bringing people in your life that you are to minister to, that you're supposed to share with them. Like, oh yeah, you know, um, I, I used to be crazy and wild, but then Jesus came into my life, you know, so I don't, I don't do those things anymore. And people are like, what? As they're doing your hair, like, wow, really? Oh, wow, that's nice. And when you're, they're doing your hair, they can't run away, and you're paying them. So use that as a time to evangelize. And realize, look, every person who comes into your life as they're coming, these are divine appointments. And sometimes we 
think when things don't work out or our plans go awry and it's not working out the way we want to, that those are disappointments, but literally those are his appointments for us, not disappointments. See, the man here is blind and he's also in poverty. He has no way to provide for himself and there's no way for him to see. So now he has put himself at the mercy of people who are passing by the road to beg for money, for his provision. And then in verse 36, and hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. So the man, he notices something different about the sound now as he's blind. Sometimes when one of our senses goes out, some of our other senses are a little more in tune. So as he hears now a crowd that is coming by, the footsteps, the voices of many people on the road, he begins to ask Hey, what's going on? Maybe he's getting excited. Hey, there's a bunch of people coming. I could ask for money from now. A crowd of people. But they tell him it's Jesus who is coming down the road. And then in verse 38, and he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. You see, as soon as he found out that it was Jesus coming down the road, things change, right? He's no longer asking for money now because he believes that Jesus is the Messiah and that is why he's calling him Son of David. You see that title, Son of David? The Jews knew through the Old Testament prophets that God gave to King David and also through the prophet Isaiah and to Jeremiah a prophecy that through David's sons, through his line of family, the Messiah was going to come. So the term, the title, son of David was a title that was for the Messiah. So he's calling out, son of David, Messiah, have mercy on me. See, this also I noticed the first thing he doesn't ask for money He doesn't even ask for his sight. But the first thing he asks for is mercy. You see, the beggar, despite his physical, despite his financial trials, he's aware of the most important need in his life. That's a relationship with God. There was something in his heart that that he knew was wrong, that he needed forgiveness of. What that is, the Bible doesn't list here, and I'm thankful that the Bible doesn't list the sin because now it makes me relatable to this man that we're all in need of the mercy of God. We all need forgiveness in our life because none of us are perfect. We're all sinners. And yet, these men who are following after Jesus, they try to shut this guy up. They try to silence him. They say, hey, be quiet, man. There's, there's ministry going on. You're going you're gonna to throw off his groove. And they begin to come in between this man and his savior, which leads me to my third point. Point number three, 
Don't let anything between you and Jesus. Let me tell you something right here. If anyone, if anything tries to keep you from fully giving yourself to Jesus, don't let it. Don't let that person keep you from giving yourself fully to Jesus. Don't let that thing keep you from giving yourself fully to Jesus. I don't care if it's a husband, a wife, a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a job. You surrender to Jesus, no matter what. Now, I'm not talking about forsaking your family and forsaking your God-given obligations. No, there, there's certain duties and there's also a, a death to self that is part of submitting to God amongst your family members. I'm not talking about that. But what I'm saying is we need to love God first and foremost. So we continue in verse 40. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, what do you want me to do for you? See, Jesus, he does not judge this man based on his wealth, based on his strength, or health, or lack of it. Jesus, I recognize right here, that look, Jesus is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't only cater to a particular group of people. And I see here in this, the compassion of Jesus. No, recently we've had a a gentleman come in here from the streets and he's been visiting our church uh, here and there, but he's he's a familiar face when I see him come. And I'm blessed by him coming here. Initially, sometimes too, there's the human nature of us to, to be suspicious of a person. But as I've seen him come, I've seen his knowledge of the word and, and hearing more of his backstory. I see that God has him here, not only so I can minister unto him, but through him, he's ministering unto me just to see, man, this guy loves the Lord and he just wants to be around a church. And, and then God humbles my heart with this man and calls me to serve him, to love on him, to pray with him. You see, we need to have that compassion that it it, it comes from Christ because it's not in me, especially it wasn't in the old cell to be compassionate to those who are hurting. That's a work that only the Holy Spirit does through us. And it's a blessing also because I've seen you guys now begin to be compassionate on those who are in need here. When he came in, without me having to say anything to anyone, people are already trying to bless him in the church. Help him out. Buy him a meal. And I've seen that done with other people too in the church. People also who are not in a place financially where they are should necessarily just be giving money out, I see them giving to the church and I'm like, man, God, I think of the widow and her two mites. Just that whatever you can give joyfully. And, and I'm blessed to see that, look, there, are, there is the love of God flowing through his people. 
again in verse 41. When Jesus asks the man, he says, what do you want me to do for you? The man responds, he says, Lord, that I may receive my sight. So first he asks for mercy, and now he's asking Jesus to help his physical need. And I, I notice too, he calls Jesus Lord, meaning he, this is now an obedient heart, an obedient mind, mind towards Jesus. See, we can come to Jesus with everything, with our needs, with our wants, our desires, with our fears, with our anxieties. And we can come to Jesus with everything we have, even whether it's good or bad. We could come to him instead of trying to hide our sin from God. We can say, God, look, this is what I'm struggling with right here. This sin that it, it's so hard for me to get rid of. God, I, I need you to take this from me. And God loves it when a, a believer, when one of his children comes to him with that repentful heart. Take my sins from me. In verse 42, then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. So Jesus, his method right here of healing is simply to speak the words to this man. And I, I love that many times in the Bible when Jesus performed a miracle, when he healed someone, it was done in so many different ways. Because then it leaves us to realize that, look, there's not one particular method of a miracle being done, being performed. Sometimes he would take a, another blind man and he would spit on the floor and create mud out of, out of his spit. And he would rub it in the guy's eyes. And then after a while, the guy was able to see. So it's like God doesn't work in cookie cutter ways. He has different ways and forms of doing his ministry. See, I, I, was, I would just wonder, man, can I just be the guy who doesn't get the spit and the mud in his eye? Just, just say it, just speak the word to me. I'm just kidding. If I was in that situation, I would say, Lord, whatever you want, I'm blind. And in verse 43, it says, And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people. When they saw it, they gave praise to God. My wife and I, yesterday, we went to the Bible college orientation over at Calvary Chapel and Diamond Bar. And what was really beautiful was about six months ago, there was one of the teachers there, the head of, one of the heads of the Bible college, let the Bible college know that this teacher was diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer. And he was going to still teach the class. And we prayed over him. And it was, uh, this man was this big, sweet, loving dude. And it was kind of heartbreaking. I was like, man, sometimes the Lord's servants, we just go through trials. And then yesterday, praise report, they announced, they said, hey, last six months ago, we told everyone to pray for him. Well, this aggressive form of cancer, which was spreading and metastasizing even to his lymph nodes, more recently, it's all gone. He has a clear bill of health. And, and it's just one of those things that you have to give God the glory over. 
It's like, how do we describe those things? How do we explain them? It's only that God, he's sovereign. In chapter 19, we're going to see now an account of another man who also has something getting in the way between him and the Savior. This man, we know him as Zacchaeus. Maybe you've heard that song before. Zacchaeus was a wee little wee. Something like that, right? No? Uh, Yes, yes. (laughs) Amen. Now in chapter 19, beginning with verse 1, it says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. So Zacchaeus, his name in Hebrew, it means pure and innocent. And do you guys remember how people felt about tax collectors in that time? Probably the same way we do now, right? No, even worse, even worse. You see, because the Romans, they employed the tax collectors and they would take a Jewish person and say, hey, you are going to collect the taxes for Rome amongst your Jewish brethren. And so the other Jewish people were like, man, why is this guy working for Rome? They have us under captivity. And this guy, he's basically a traitor to our nation. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And Zacchaeus was also very rich. And he most likely, because of the end of his account, you find out that he was probably stealing many funds from his Jewish brethren. He was taking more money than he was supposed to be and putting it into his own pocket. And in verse 3 it says, Zacchaeus, and he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. See, Zacchaeus, he desires to see this man he's heard of named Jesus. He desires to see the man that he has heard rumor of now that this is the Messiah. And there's something that causes people in this life to long for Jesus. Sometimes they can't explain it. It's like, I'm just drawn to the man, Jesus. And something supernatural even caused men in Jesus' time to leave behind their fishing nets, to leave behind their work, their livelihood their families, to go follow after Jesus. And it was for this one reason, simply because he was Jesus. Simply because he was God was the reason why people would just throw their nets down, follow after him. Now Zacchaeus, he, and similar to the blind man, is experiencing crowds who are coming with Jesus. And now these crowds are getting in between him and the Savior. But for Zacchaeus, it wasn't due to his finances, like the rich man that we learned about last week. It was literally because of his height. He was short. It's kind of funny. A little bit. He had little man syndrome. Now, I'm not a tall man. I'm not. But I used to be actually be even shorter than I am. And before high school, I'm, I'm thankful that my sister, Vero, she used to literally pray for me when I was in junior high. She would say, God, give my brother 
any of my future growth spurts. And I'm glad she prayed that. Now, Zacchaeus, sadly, I don't think he had a sister praying for his height. So because of that, he was a man of short stature. And he couldn't see Jesus. He couldn't see what was going on. So in verse 4, So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Now, if you look up what a sycamore tree looks like, it's actually a really good tree for a short person to climb because it, its trunk, it, its trunks branch out from the bottom, so you don't have to climb a straight long pole. But a bunch, it's kind of like an olive tree where it branches out from the bottom, so you could kind of start from the bottom and start climbing up really high. And I'm actually even reminded of the the olive tree that was in my front yard. Uh, at my parents' house, one time I got my leg stuck in it because I was always climbing that thing. My dad had to pull me out with some water and soap. It was, I, was, I remember it was scary. <laughs> but here, now the same picture as a person now, because Zacchaeus, we picture him climbing up this tree because he doesn't want to let circumstances in his life keep him from going to Jesus. And I look, I, I, what I see in this is it doesn't matter what circumstances are surrounding our life. We should always seek that fellowship and that relationship with Jesus. Recently here at this church, the cold and flu was going around and at other churches, and we got hit. And even to the point where my wife and I had a quarantine. But that week where we got to go to, thankfully with my in-laws, because of my in-laws, we got to stay in Indio. And during that week, I could have just kicked my feet up and say, ah, this is just vacation time. But the Lord just gave me that that conviction of, hey, on Wednesday night, you need to still teach the word. So I was like, okay, we're going to turn on the live stream. And I wanted to not let that sickness get in between my relationship with the Lord. And I also wanted to share it with Redeemed Church. How easily the good things in life also can pull us away from our close walk with Jesus. The cares of this world, right? Sunday sports, a work schedule, mandates, and everything else that is sometimes getting in the way of our walk with the Lord. And I remember a time in my life as a young person when I used to dread the idea of going to church Sunday morning and then going to church Sunday evening after that. I used to be like, no, Dad, please, I just want to stay home. And my dad was like, we're going to church. Everyone, the whole family, were going to church Sunday morning, and then we would go to church Sunday evening. And I didn't yet understand my need for Jesus at the time. I was young. But some of you have begun to experience that there is fulfillment in drawing close to Jesus and drawing close with other believers in the presence of his people. That's the church. See, it's not just the building. The church is the people. And people, once I started to serve the Lord and once I started to get really involved in ministry, they used to look at me like, man, you're crazy. You spend like all your time at the church. And I look at them like, how do you spend so much time away from the church? Like, this is the place where I get fulfilled. Now, I know church can be at home. And that's a beautiful thing that technology has done for us. 
But I also know that fellowship, sometimes it's hard to have that from the home. So I want to exhort us, look, let's not forsake the gathering of the brethren that it talks about in the word. Now, sometimes we have our own fleshly expectations about what church needs to be for us. But what I like to think of is like, like Kennedy said, ask not what God can do for you, but what you can do for God, right? Now he says, well, your government, but. But look, also too, look, with the works that I'm talking about here, Jesus already did the work. So when I'm not talking about going to a workspace salvation. I'm not talking about going to a workspace relationship. But let your works come because you are saved. Let your works flow from a heart that is thankful to the Lord for what he's done in our life. Continuing on, verse 5. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And I love this. Look, first Jesus, he calls him by name. He knew him by name. And this is what I love about Zacchaeus perhaps thought that it, it was the tree that was going to fix his problems. Like, oh, if I just climb the tree, I'll be able, I'll be good. But what did Jesus tell him to do? He said, come down from the tree. He's like, I've been struggling with shortness my whole life in this tree. I need the tree to help me. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come away from the tree because I want to go to your house today. I love that. Jesus isn't going to let the circumstances in Zacchaeus' life keep him away from that close relationship with him. I'm reminded of this verse in James chapter 4. In verses 8 through 10, it says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Yet let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy be turned to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. See, draw near to God and God's going to respond. Zacchaeus, he receives Jesus into his home because Christ is not going to force himself into any man's life. He's not going to go against their will because Jesus is not an intruder to our lives, to our soul. For Jesus to enter the house of Zacchaeus, other people saw this as, why is Jesus going with a sinner? Why is Jesus going with a traitor to our nation? And they didn't like that. But Jesus is not a respecter of persons. So in verse 7, but when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give you half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Zacchaeus has a heart of repentance here. He's saying, look, you know what? I have taken money that I wasn't supposed to take, and I want to restore it. And look at this contrast now between Zacchaeus And last week, the rich man that we learned about. Remember, Jesus told the rich man, the young rich ruler, young money, 
He said, sell all that you have, all of your possessions, and come and follow me, and you will have rewards in heaven. But the man walked away sorrowful because he was a very rich man. Zacchaeus also is rich. But Zacchaeus is saying, look, I'll I'll give away what doesn't belong to me. I only want what God wants for me. And we don't need to put down rich people because even Zacchaeus was rich. And then in verse 9, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. See, the Jews, they probably didn't accept Zacchaeus as one of their own. They were probably like, no, Zacchaeus, that guy, the tax collector, he's not a true Jew. But Jesus is calling him, look, you're a son of Abraham. Giving him that pure Israelite title. And then in verse 10, the last verse this evening of our text, it says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So this is the model that we follow. Jesus is not seeking to save people based on their race, their sex, their financial status, their physical stature. He simply seeks the lost. That's everyone. And so should our ministering be to those people those who are in need of Jesus, period. And some verses that I'm reminded of, the way Jesus seeks the lost, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want people to go to hell he wants people to get saved and then in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners Christ died for us he Christ died for sinners he loves us so we can believe God he is going to accomplish what he's promised we can ask God to open our eyes to the spiritual things and remember Don't let anything get in between you and Jesus. Amen? Let's pray.